It's the Racing with Rob and Roller podcast. Hello, everyone. My name is Rob Peters in Indianapolis, and I am joined by my good friend and co-host, Josh Roller, in Charlotte. And you are listening to the third episode of Season 6 of our little podcast here. Coming up on today's show, we'll chat all things IndyCar after their Sebring test and some pretty big nuggets of news and all things nascar following a thrilling finish at atlanta also coming up we'll recap the supercars bathurst 500 and we'll be previewing sunday's formula one bahrain grand prix which will begin the new f1 season now don't forget to subscribe and follow us on social media the show can be found at robin roller spelled just as it sounds r-o-b-a-n-d-r-o-l-l-e-r uh, my handle is at rpeters33, that's R-P-E-E-T-E-R-S-33, and Josh can be found at roller underscore zero one, that's R-O-L-L-E-R underscore zero one. Uh, that is how you follow us on social media, however you prefer to get that. I will not call it X, I will continue to call it Twitter, but I digress. Um, anywho, Josh, say hello to everybody before we jump right on into the news. Hola, how is everyone doing today? Uh, that's a rhetorical question. I'm sure some people just answered you, but most people probably didn't. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's move on. Let's jump right on in here to Rob's Racing Report and talking about Formula One. We're going to start with Formula One because we have some minor, not really breaking news because this is a podcast, but some relatively recent news, as in like right before we started recording this. Uh, ESPN is reporting that a decision regarding the allegations of inappropriate behavior by Red Bull team principal Christian Horner is quote-unquote imminent and could come as soon as Wednesday. So quite literally the day that you are listening to this, we probably will already have an answer. So, you know, this episode may not have aged too well, but we are expecting to know um, some sort of... Uh, update on whether or not Christian Horner did indeed do something very serious. So again, we don't know what it, what what he's accused of. We have of, no idea really. what this was. None. Yeah, we don't know. I mean, we Ford, just know it's their new partner behavior. doesn't even know and is criticizing Red Bull for not being transparent. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. Like we all we know in this situation is that it's inappropriate behavior. But I think I said it the last time we talked about this. We don't know if this is you know like uh, very broad like, statement. We don't know what it is. Right. It, it it could be verbal. It could be, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean it's sexual. It, it could be verbal. It could be, you know, it could be any form of, of inappropriate contact. It could be nepotism, maybe even. I don't know. Um, it could be favorite favoritism. I, I have no idea. You know, it could be a number of things. We're just going to find out. We're just going to find out. So, uh, anywho... We'll move on you know, into some of the IndyCar news because we've got a decent amount of IndyCar news, but stay tuned for later in the show when we get to the upshift downshift segment. We're really going to start you know, giving our takes on these. So just let, let this, these, these pieces of news marinate for just, just a little bit. Uh, but the first news here is coming in in the name of safety at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Uh, new safety improvements have been made to IMS, uh, including new catch f- fencing in turn three, new safer barriers on the inside of turn four uh 85 feet of guardrail has been replaced with safer barrier between turns three and four so a lot of new things going on in the uh indianapolis 500 lots of investments being made by roger penske in the track itself to make it um more much more safer obviously it can always be safer and you know let's be honest ims 
you know, it's it's I think you know in an era where almost all oval tracks have placed at least NASCAR sanctioned oval tracks have placed a safer barrier basically all over the track. Uh, IMS is still one of the few, if not the only, that has not done that. Um, so I think it was it was due for due for something like that. Where the sooner we get safer barriers and the all all over the short shoots, I think the better it's we're all going to be in terms of IndyCar because sometimes some of those hits, man, they scare me, and especially coming off turn three and turns two and four. I mean, I know it would decrease the racing line and racing space a little bit, but you've got to have something in there because those guys are, are hitting so hard. Um, but anyway, uh, we'll also talk about uh, the IndyCar Sebring test we mentioned in the intro has wrapped up. Uh, and two of uh, now, now Marcus Erickson topped the most recent, the final uh, test session has, with Andretti. Keep in mind, he's with Andretti now. Um, but uh, of that news, interesting... Jack Harvey and Colin Brown were announced as Dale Coyne Racing's test drivers for the Sebring test that did indeed wrap up on Tuesday. Now, DCR has not yet formally announced their 2024 driver lineup, but they got Harvey and Colin Brown. Don't know if that's going to lead to anything, but it would be super rad to see Colin Brown in an Indy car. Yes, it would. Yes, it would. I am all for that. I I would love to see that. I I love Colin Brown. He's like the he's got to be like the the most positive and like nicest person in the garage, right? Or like one of them, right? Um. Anyway, uh, we'll move on here. Uh, more talking about more of IndyCar safety news and whatnot. Uh, we've got uh some pretty big stuff. So the move that Joseph Newgarden made. While defending his lead in the 2023 Indianapolis 500, meaning using the Dragon and going below the pit entry line, uh, is now illegal. IndyCar has banned that move. So they, they, they are now policing if you go below that white line that, that separates the pit lane from, from the racing line to defend your move, you will be penalized. Uh, and good. I'll just say that. I'll just leave it at good before I because we'll talk about it later. Um, but uh, new guidelines will be issued to drivers that will extend from the pit entry attenuator to turn four. Uh, now, in addition to this, this is not Indy 500 related, but IndyCar is also re- introducing a restart line beginning at St. Petersburg. Now, this line doesn't indicate when a leader must restart, but rather limits the ability for the field to pass until a driver crosses that line. So uh, just, you know. Clearing up some things there for IndyCar, not necessarily a bad thing. I will talk about them later on in the show, but for now, let's get into some NASCAR news. This came completely out of left field. I had absolutely no idea that this was going to happen, but Derek Krause, who's the simulator driver for Colleague Racing, is going to start six Cup Series events for Colleague's number 16 Chevrolet uh, beginning this weekend at Las Vegas. He will also race both Phoenix races and then Kansas and uh, Darlington in May, both of those in May, and then uh, Gateway uh, coming up in June. I believe that's the first weekend in June. Um, so, yeah, didn't expect that. I mean, I, I I just really didn't expect that. I mean, he hasn't even run a full season in Xfinity. But all right, you know, okay. 
Uh, anywho, moving on. NASCAR is offering to extend the charter system for seven more years, which would be the same length as the next media rights deal. The proposed deal doesn't make charters permanent, but rather makes them more of a quote-unquote evergreen status, which would effectively make charters permanent without making them permanent as the charters would automatically renew. This would likely mean NASCAR would have the right to terminate the charter system at will, which, let's be honest, they probably would if that happened, which is probably why NASCAR teams are and the RTA are not going to have it. Um, some inter-race team drama, who, and this was just very bizarre given the circumstances of the truck race at Atlanta, uh, but Kyle Busch Motorsports is suing Rev Racing, claiming that Rev missed several payments to their agreement with KBM's effort to help Nick Sanchez in 2023. Crazy, because Rev Racing has basically continued the same exact partnership now with Spire Motorsports, who bought KBM, and then Kyle Busch was then effectively teammates with Nick Sanchez this weekend during the truck race at Atlanta. Very... Strange. Yes, strange is, 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 I think, maybe understating it just a bit. Uh, in general, a very bizarre situation, but also could you know, maybe explain why Kyle Busch Motorsports ended up no longer being around and Kyle having to sell. And This you know, had no impact on that, I can promise you that. I'm okay. Well, then I was just, I'm wrong then. I apologize. I, I do, I do, I do want to say too, this came out later after I wrote this, that the team, the Rev, is, uh, they say they hope to settle this out of court swiftly and have it paid soon. And it's just like, it's, it's funny, you know, I'm sure they got plenty of notices from KBM and from Kyle Bush's lawyers. And all, all right, you know, hey, we need this paid, need this paid, need this paid. And then when you we say, like, oh, we're publicly saying we're suing them, then you get the accountants in line. That's just kind of yeah, funny. Yeah, that, that's how you get paid. That's how finally you, you threaten legal action. That's how it'll do it. Yeah. Uh, some penalty news. Let's go into penalty news for NASCAR. Joey Logano was forced to start at the back of Sunday's Ambater Health. 400 in Atlanta for wearing an unapproved glove during qualifying. He was also fined $10,000 for this. Now, basically, this glove was, I guess, a webbed glove, kind of like a baseball mitt. Um, and uh, the, the, the idea was, I guess, from what I understand, is when he put his, puts his hand up to block some of that wind during qualifying, because, you know, you're, when you're doing a qualifying at a speedway, you know, you want to get prevent as much air from getting into the car as possible and make it more aerodynamic. So he's putting his glove up, and, and in order to do that, he's basically got a webbed glove to give it more surface area. Now, NASCAR, did, it obviously, is an unapproved glove. Now, this is what's really really funny and interesting to me. If you follow uh, the one pizza man on Twitter, Brayton Laster, who's an ARCA driver in Greenwood, Indiana native, uh, cool guy, great guy, love following him on Twitter. I think he's the greatest, one of the coolest race car drivers in the world. I mean, his, he's so positive. I love it. Uh, but anyway, he po pointed out that uh, he thought he saw Joey Logano use it last week at Daytona as well. And the only thing is he got away with it because I guess he took the glove off uh, before he got to pit road. And that might have saved him. So NASCAR might not have noticed it or, you know, he hit the glove or whatever under the seat and then took it out when they got it back to the garage when nobody was looking. You know, whatever. I mean, but basically that is very interesting because he had, he, he qualified quite well, both with, you know, qualified on the front row the last two weeks 
I'm not saying that that webbed glove, you know, is what did it, but definitely very interesting, especially, you know, to see guys are still looking for every advantage that they can get and still pushing the envelope and pushing the rules. And that's NASCAR, baby. Um, more penalty news. This is not as sneaky. This is more just, I guess, Stuart Haas not being good enough. Uh, but NASCAR has assessed Stuart Haas Racing two L1 penalties for parts infractions in Atlanta. Noah Gregson and Ryan Priest were docked 25 driver and owner's points, in addition to NASCAR confiscating the number 10 and number 41's roof rails. Hmm. So, uh, I think, what is it? Gregson has, like, negative six points now, and Priest has none. I think that's... I feel like that would be pretty accurate based off how well they've raced the past couple weeks or well they finished. I mean, they have raced well, just haven't finished well because of wrecks. Um, yeah. I mean, this is probably one of those deals where it was, uh, you know, a single source part and they tampered with it or they made their own. Yes, that's your, that's probably what I'm going to go with. Uh, I wouldn't surprise me there. Um, final piece of NASCAR news. This is pretty interesting. Atlanta's TV ratings were up. Uh, for the Cup Series, at least, we're uh, thir- up 33% over uh, 2022 with the six, uh, 6% increase over the t- same time slot, which is what F- Fontana was in, uh, in also in 2022. So that's pretty pretty good news. There, or, excuse me, is that 2023? 23. Did 23. you mean 23? You'd... I meant 2023. I don't know why I put I thought so. I thought oh, so. so that's 2023, everybody. Yes. So, yeah, my, my bad. I don't know why I did that. I was looking right at it. Uh, the uh, whoever posted it first and uh, Adam it is Stern. What it is. Hey, yeah, yeah, I forget what year it is half the time. All I know is that 2021 and 2020 were a lot longer ago than I like to. I like to think. Uh, Gosh, all right, let's move on. We continue. I know, right? I know, right? Like we've had a podcast since then. Like listening to some of our hot takes from back then are wild. Um, yeah. Yeah, remember, throwback to when I assumed that Robert Schwartzman was going to go to Haas back in, like, 2020. And it ended up being, like, Nikita Mazepin and just... God. I was so off. All right. Uh, Let's talk WEC. Let's talk some uh, World Endurance Championship. If you you live in the United States and you want to watch the World Endurance Championship, which you really should... Uh, we're, we are literally in a golden era of sports car racing. There is no reason for you to not be watching IMSA and the WEC right now. There are literally zero reasons. Like, unle- like, unless you just have a terrible attention span or horrible ADHD and you just literally cannot pay attention to, like, a, a four, at least a minimum four-hour-long race. Like, I get that, but, dude, I mean, holy cow. But you're going to be able to watch it, but you're going to have to shell out some more money. So the FIA has announced that the WEC will now be broadcast in in the U.S. on Max. So HBO Max rebranded into Max, and now they've got basically this sports add-on with Max. So you have to pay for Max, and then you have to buy the sports add-on. So it's basically like paying for cable and then having to buy a sports package. Ladies and gentlemen, we have literally not done anything different. I I I really wonder why we've even bothered to go the streaming route when we're just it it feels like we're going in a complete circle. Like am I am I crazy? Am I crazy to think that like we're just going in a complete circle? It's just cable with extra steps. It's just on demand cable, Josh. That's all we're watching. Uh, it's just over the over the 
the internet verse. I can cable. get cable on the internet. I mean, I, heck, heck, I, I watch, I use YouTube TV all the time. I mean, I watch my standard cable on the internet, but like, I would, I don't really consider that cable. That's a cable is when you got to have a box, and you got to. Oh, I mean, it's linear a, television. I get ESPN, the same live cool. ESPN that you get. Yeah, but that's not cable. That's 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 streaming. You're streaming that on a computer, or or your maybe your smart TV. You're not yes. getting that to a cable provider. Okay, well that's true, but. You know, YouTube TV allows me to log in at, with using my credentials as if it were a cable provider. That's how I get access to ESPN3 and... And that will know, change one day. Probably, yeah. Uh, especially with all the crazy things. But yeah, so you gotta... If you want to watch this year's 24 Hours of Lamar, you probably have to pay for it now. So, that sucks. Not exactly what I wanted to do. Uh, but... You know, I, we, we're, we're going to have to get it anyway for NASCAR next year. So, I mean, might as well just get it now, right? Like, NASCAR's not going to be on Max. It's going to be on TNT. And yeah, Amazon. but it's going to stream on Max. The, the oh, TNT yeah, races are going to stream on yeah. Max. Yep, I forgot. T the TNT stuff is yeah. on Max. I think they, I thought they had their own. My bad. My bad, folks. Yeah. Batting so, yeah. so it's like you got to get that anyway. So, I mean, if you want to watch NASCAR, you might as well enjoy a golden era sports car racing while you're <laughs> at it, uh, which honestly is not a bad trade-off. Honestly, not a bad trade-off. All right, let's move on to the featured paint scheme now, Josh, because uh, Daniel Suarez es el ganador de la carrera en Atlanta. That is my Spanish. I think some of that grammar was correct. Most of that grammar could have been incorrect, and I apologize to the Spanish speakers who are probably saying, Good Lord, his grammar is horrible! Uh, I know. I'm sorry. I, 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 look, man, I tell you what. I try to sit down. I really do. I, re I really do. And sit down and watch the Spanish programming that I get with YouTube TV just to keep my Spanish up because I think Spanish is a wonderful language because any language where... Uh, all the words are spelled exactly how they sound is just beautiful to me. I mean, all these other languages, and this is this is not me being xenophobic or whatever. This is me being ling linguist, linguistophobic. No, I I, I don't know. I just like your head. <laughs> yes. No, this is me saying all those other languages are confusing. English confusing as hell. I mean, we have silent letters. We have all these silent letters. We have words that are spelled differently and mean di the diff different things, but are they, they sound the exact same, you know? Um, if French doesn't even pronounce the last half of their words. You know, all confusing. But you think about Spanish, you sit down, you look at Spanish, mm, chef's kiss. Every single word is spelled exactly how it sounds. And grammatically speaking, it makes perfect sense. The only thing that's weird is putting the adjectives behind the noun. Yeah. You know, that's the only thing you got to really get used to. I, I mean, every, everything else in Spanish is just 100%. Like, if I, if I were going to teach my children a, a language, I would teach them Spanish first and then English. Because it would be a hell of a lot easier to teach Spanish and, and then teach English. You know, especially to a kid. You know, when kid, kids, you know, kids can grab, grasp languages a lot quicker when they're young. You know, so if you, you teach them... Get them bilingual when they're young, then they're they're also going to realize that. 
and then hopefully we can change English and get rid of silent letters and vowels and get back to our Latin roots and whatnot. Anyway, favorite Daniel Suarez scheme, because I love the, 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 the Spanish language, and I listened to and watched the Spanish uh, finish to the Atlanta race, which was absolutely wonderful. I love how excited commentators get. Like when, like, like, it's not just Spanish. If like Spanish commentators, like the Japanese commentators too. You know, when Takuma Sato won uh, the Indy 500, or when he almost won in 2012, the level of, of excitement. You know, it's like I wish, I wish we kind of had that in Mike Joy, but that's what I liked too about like our NASCAR coverage back in the day was Larry Mack, Mike Joy, and Daryl Waltrip would all be reacting like that. Yep. You know, I think back to some of those; they would all be reacting like that. So when I listen to you know, the Spanish commentary, like half of it is me trying to, you know, understand what they're saying because I'm, I like, I like learning Spanish. Um, and then the other half is just kind of enjoying how happy these guys are. Like they're so happy to see, you know, Daniel Suarez who, you know, represents their country and, and everything. They, they're happy to see him win and they're so, they're so thrilled. I loved that. But anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm rambling now because I don't know why, but Josh, uh, I will turn things over to you because we're talking about our favorite Daniel Suarez paint scheme. Uh, and, and Daniel Suarez, he's been in, in NASCAR for, for quite some time now. Uh, he, he, he really has. I, I forget it's, it's, it's now been about 10 years since he made his, yeah. uh, his Xfinity debut back at the nationwide series. And I believe no, it was for, I, was it the, was his I thought it was the Xfinity. Did he make his debut in 2015 or is it 2014? I believe he started a couple of races for Rab Racing in 2014. Okay, 14. Okay. Driving the 29, if I recall correctly. And I'm going to look that up right now while you give me your uh, featured paint scheme for your favorite Daniel Suarez. But yes, I believe that that is accurate. Yeah, so mine, uh, I don't think it have been too long ago that I probably would have picked a Toyota scheme from Suarez. Um, from his, again from his Toyota days, he he had a lot of nice paint schemes. Joe Gibbs, uh, late 2010s Xfinity schemes were hot. Um, they had some good ones there. He's driven some KBM Toyotas. Um, but you know what? I, I firm I, I, I when I think of Daniel Suarez, it's now fully Trackhouse. It's not even Stuart Haas. It's not Gaunt Brothers. It's, it's, yeah, there, there's a name for you. Um, it's Trackhouse. And I really like, um, and he drove this car a little bit in, in 22 too, but different number, different generation of car. But I'm going with his 2021 Comscope Chevrolet. Uh, obviously the numbers were still in the middle. They're middle of the doors. Um, but, um, you know, the base black, but then you have like the swirls of the designs of like greens, blues, purples, reds, oranges, yellows. It just looks good. And, um, I really, I really, really like that car when it hit the track. Eventually, I wasn't a fan of it before because I always liked the, 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 the name you're going to mention and the way those cars looked. So when they change the name of the company a little bit or they go with a different, uh, uh, sort of branding for it, and I'm like, I don't like this, but it, it has grown on me over time. And uh, you know, it's one of the OG track house paint schemes. And how do you not like that? I mean, how, how, how do you how do you shake a stick at that? I love it. But that's, that's my pick. 2021 Comscope number 99 Chevrolet for track house. 
I appreciate you so much for talking about that one because it really is a great, great paint scheme. Uh, the ComScope schemes are, are wonderful and I miss them. I will forever miss them. I am sad that they are apparently no longer associated with Daniel. Um, or at least not in a primary as a primary sponsor um but uh i will say like you said like you mentioned the precursor to Com comscope before they changed their name and kind of did a rebrand they were known as aris aris communications and they originally sponsored daniel suarez basically throughout the first several years of his career now i did uh look this up to to, to do this uh he did indeed make a start for rab racing in 2014 it at Chicagoland in the number 29. He finished 15th there. But he also, he did indeed make his Xfinity Series start, then Nationwide Series start, uh, at Richmond in 2014, driving the number 20 for Joe Gibbs Racing. So he did okay. originally go. go for Joe Gibbs, but he also drove for Rab. So he made two starts, finished top 20 in both, um, and then went on to run the full 2015 and 16 schedules. And quite honestly, a beautiful, beautiful looking race car. The comms, the, or excuse me, the RS cars, the RS Orange, incredible, beautiful, absolutely, hands down, one of my favorite paint schemes of all time is this. And every single year that he drove it, and I'm serious. So when he moved up to Cup in 2017, loved that one. 2018, loved that one. Uh, when he went to Stuart Haas in 2019 and only drove the RS sponsored car a couple of times, still loved it. Uh, and then when he went to Gaunt Brothers, he only drove it once, mainly because they had changed Comscope by this time. So the Comscope car actually looked fantastic there, but he, in it, they did a throwback. So he ran Darlington the throwback way, weekend with the RS sponsored car. And oh, and then let's not forget that he also drove the truck the, for KBM in the Truck Series uh, for the 2015 and 2016 season with again RS sponsorship for, but with number 51. Again, Chef's Kiss, beautiful, beautiful paint scheme. I will always love that paint scheme. If I had a die cast of it, I would I would sleep next to it every night. I mean, that's how much I love it. Challenge uh, accepted for the next time I go to Booth 34 is to find Rob a Ars die cast. I, I'd appreciate to, it. To, to, literally to, anyone. To I don't care. Head. I don't care what it is. I literally I do not care. Do you want it to be a Daniel Suarez or can it be a Carl Edwards? It could be whatever. It could be Carl. Okay, well, this be Daniel. This is this. I'm going to find you one, uh, and we are going to, and I'm going to send it to you, and you're you're going to have to hold your word on this one. Okay. Okay. I'm 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 content with doing that. Okay. Okay. I have no no major qualms or issues or nothing. Good. Good. So yeah, let's let's do it. You know, let's let's go. All right. Uh, let's move on now to the uh, next next uh, segment here, which is the upshift downshift segment. Uh, this is our segment where we talk and discuss some of the news and 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 uh, have a good little discussion. So, and remember, you can play along at home. You can, if you remember the uh, social media handles that I uh, pointed out in the beginning of the show. Go ahead and go on to our Twitter handles, X, whatever. Uh, and, uh, we will be asking you these questions, a lot of these questions. Uh, or if you li are listening on Spotify right now, sorry for Apple Podcast users or iHeartRadio users or however else you get, get your podcast. I guess Google Podcasts is going away, but I think some people still listen on Google Podcasts. 
um, you know, feel free to uh, click right down if you're in the Spotify app, uh, and you'll have one of these questions selected, and you can give your answer in real time. So let's go ahead and jump right on in to the first question or statement of the day. Um, Joey Logano was issued a pass-through penalty by NASCAR after, and also was sent to the rear. Uh, by NASCAR after NASCAR said that he altered his gloves and then didn't meet SFI specifications. Do you upshift or downshift that this was an appropriate penalty, Josh? So, um, uh, my understanding also is with this, uh, it was sort of like an as-delivered. It wasn't as-delivered glove uh, was part of the issue. I kind of thought... You know, this is where, all right, we're going to confiscate the glove, and you're not going to get it back, but we're going to do a test right here. Now, um, if it passes muster and it, you know, holds up like it's supposed to, okay, congratulations. You're not going to get penalized right now, but you'll probably get penalized on Monday or Tuesday, <laughs> right? Um, I thought the pass-through was a little bit severe. To the rear, I totally get, uh, but I thought the pass-through was a little... Uh, severe so i kind of got to downshift that one i mean again if he if you if it actually didn't like if it burned up like okay well that's not gonna protect your hand then yeah you got to penalize that i thought this was a little too severe though I, I that might be me being too lax on this i don't know but i felt like the the pass through was not was was just a step too far because you knew you're going to get penalized on tuesday right you know so I kind of got to downshift that. Let I mean, me, that's, what do you think? Well, my opinion is is that, yeah, I think that the pass-through was a little bit overkill. But at the same time, I think it was NASCAR sending a message saying, don't try this. You know, we're going to make an example out of Joey because we can. You know, he it's not going to affect him. He's got a good, you know, he's a two-time champion. He's... You know, he's got a good team. He's got a good car. But, you know, if anybody else tries this. That's a killer at Atlanta, though. I know it is. Hit road. I I know. I I fully know it is. And and that's why I think that they were truly using this as to make an example out of him. Uh, It was. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. It it was them trying to say, don't try this ever again. Mm. You know, this this kind of thing is not going to be tolerated. If it's, you know, if you're right, if it is for safety reasons, then I get it, you know? You don't want, the last thing you want is a driver, you know, who's using one of these gloves to gain that extra advantage, you know, getting burned. Having, you know, second, third degree burns on their hand, that because they're not wearing a glove that normally would have protected their hands. Um, so, I mean, that that's why, for me, I, I upshift it, but... I will admit that it's a very hesitant upshift because I do feel like it was overkill, but I also think that it was overkill for a reason. I think they 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 had a good reason to make it overkill. But if you know, it, it's it's just one of those situations where it's like, all right, from now on, we probably don't need to do that. We probably can deter them enough by just sending them to the rear and finding them 10k. But I mean, this was like making an example out of them. So yeah. All right, uh, let's let's uh, let's talk about this here. Reading between the lines of comments made by NASCAR VP of Com- Competition Elton Sawyer, uh, or the husband of Patty Moise, um, I'll just call him that. 
I no disrespect to Elton, but I like Patty a little bit more, <laughs> especially after after these comments. Um, it appears NASCAR will investigate how the pace of the Daytona 500 was slowed by three seconds for uh, fuel saving. Do you upshift or downshift? This is a worthy investigation, Josh. Downshift. This is a waste of time. Of all the issues NASCAR has right now, this is what they want to worry about. Gives a crap. Yeah. It was raw racing, right? No one right. was. There was. I mean, I'm sure the the biggest shock was AJ Allmendinger is going faster in a single car field right now. Then the whole pack is going. How is this possible? Right. I thought it was cool. I mean, this is stupid. Uh, you know what happened, okay? You know what? You know what? You, okay, you, the simple solution here is to find a way, find that magical number in gallons and laps, and you change the fuel cell. Where okay, maybe it's not worth it for us if with this stupid stage racing, right? That we don't need to pit. So, or, or we, or it's not worth it for us to save. Of course, I know everyone's going to want to save. I, 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 this is just not worth it in my book. The race, to me, as we went over last week, the super speedway races now is a race to the seventy-five percent mark. Yeah. And in the case of the Daytona Five Hundred, that's fifty to go. That's when all the gloves come off. So you're going to have a more than likely a boring butt race. For the first seventy-five percent of that of every super speedway race now, because it's all fuel mileage based, because the tires don't wear, the tracks need to wear a bit more because in, to have a little more character to to affect handling. So therefore, they're all going to be racing together. There's just a lot of things going against what you want. This is stupid. I'm going to stop talking and say <laughs> this is a downshift. This is not a worthy investigation. NASCAR, fix your other stuff before you worry about little minuscule things like this. Where you just have a lot of smart people on pit road who are, quite frankly, smarter than any of you in the front office. Hot take. Not going to say I disagree. Um, I will say that, yeah, this is, this is a stupid thing to investigate. Mainly because I don't really care. When I was watching the Daytona 500, the least of my concerns were drivers racing and doing strategy. Like, strategy in NASCAR has basically been thrown out the window with the advent of stage racing, or it has, if not completely thrown out the window, it has been drastically altered. In this case, it was just drastically altered. Everybody knew that they had to hit a certain number in order to, you know, be able to go, go the distance and in order to, you know, have the best opportunity to put themselves in a chance to win the race. I didn't see a problem with that. I don't, I mean, what, what is it, what, how is that any different? I mean, guys in the Indy 500 do the same exact thing. They will literally be fuel saving on lap 30. Like, you think I'm, cra no. They're fuel saving lap on lap one. Well, they'll fuel save on lap one, or, well, not, they'll fuel save as much as they can by, on lap one. But typically, they're, they're going to try and go for it all on lap one. But usually by the fifth lap, guys have started to tool, like like dial down the 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 uh, little fuel um the fuel mixture they started to dial that dial that down a little bit and then they're gonna try and make it hopefully to lap thirty if they're lucky lap thirty five you know 
it, it, there's no possible way you're going to make it to lap 40, not especially on the first lap because you you drain all that. You drain extra gas during the, the pace laps and the warm-up laps and everything. Uh, but by your second, your, your, your goal is to try and get to like 40 laps by your second stint, right? So you're still fuel saving there all the time. The only different, I mean, it's literally no different. I mean, you look at the Indy 500, they run, they run literally in a pack like that. And guys will just sit behind the leader and go half throttle. There is no, it is no different than the Daytona 500. Really? The only difference is it's stock cars versus open wheeled cars. It's the same exact type of strategy racing. Yeah. You're, 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 I mean, the Indy 500 doesn't have stages. I get that. But they have fuel windows that they're trying to hit. The cup guys have stages. And as a result, those fuel windows that they're trying to hit are more black and white. And everybody else is going to be trying for a similar kind of thing. So you kind of have an idea of what other people are going to do a little bit more so than you would with the Indy 500. And everybody else kind of has that same kind of idea because they know, okay, this race is going to be a race of attrition if we start racing. If we all want to make it to the end, then we all have to fuel save, right? We all have to make sure that we're going to, you know, we all have to play play safe. But you're absolutely right as well when you talk about the track needing to be bumpier. I mean, you're absolutely right about that uh, because, number one, that's what's going to make for a little bit more intense racing, kind of like we saw at Atlanta. I think guys at Atlanta were fuel saving as well. I think, for the most part, I think I, you, you could you could kind of see it. But because of the way the track is, because of how handling matters so much more at Atlanta than it does at, say, Daytona, Daytona you got a lot more of that kind of side-by-side racing, even though the guys were maybe half-throttle. But you, it didn't seem like, you know, they were half-throttle. But you could see. You could visibly see these guys going into turns one, going into turns three, and see the flames come out of the car, come out of the rear of the cars. You know, you know they're literally lifting, getting into the corners because handling matters and it helps them save fuel. You don't have that at Daytona. You don't need to lift into the corners. You used to have to lead lift into the corners at Daytona, especially if your car wasn't handling, especially if the tires were wearing. You know, you had to lift into the corners, and now you don't. So the best way to keep a, a relative pace up going is by riding in line behind the other guy, and that way you can run half throttle and save as much fuel as you need to. The only problem is the guy who's leading also just so happens to be trying to hit a very, very similar fuel strategy to everybody else. So they're not going to be breaking the draft. They're going to be half throttle, and if they're half throttle, then so is everybody else. All right? So it's not necessarily something that needs to be addressed. I don't really think there's a ne- there's a, even a big problem to it. I don't care. I think if you really want to fix the problem, like the way you said, I think, Josh, everything you said is correct. You need to have the tires wear more. I mean, the fact of the matter is Daytona was paved, repaved now, coming up on, what will this be, the 13th, 14th year since it's been repaved, and it's still smooth like glass. Yeah, was it was it repaved before the ten or the eleven Daytona? Before the 20, 2011. 2011 was the first first year that they they okay. had ran that it had been repaved, and it's basically okay. been glass ever since. Talladega was repaved in two thousand six, so we're getting close. It's almost eighteen years ago that Talladega was was last repaved, and it's still smooth as glass. Atlanta was repaved 
two years ago, and it's bumpy, and it wears tires, and it does all that stuff. That's your problem. That's your issue right there, is Daytona and Talladega were paved over a decade ago, and Talladega's coming up on two decades ago, and they've barely worn. The track surfaces have barely worn. That's what's going to cause this. That's what's causing this. Guys, like, I don't know why, what Elton Sawyer needs to talk about him. Like, what are you going to say? Guys, you can't fuel save anymore. Well, but that's racing. That's part of racing. Racing involves saving fuel. You're trying to be the guy who goes the fat farthest distance in the shortest amount of time. And you have to make a pit stop. So the idea is to spend as little time on pit road as possible. And that means stopping as little as possible. And if that means going slower to go faster, then that's what happens. And that's the beauty of racing. You can't take that away or even say that that in and of itself is a problem. Again, I know I've gone on a long rant here, but I had zero problem with that. The whole situation. I thought it was interesting in what an otherwise was an otherwise boring part of the race. It really was. I mean, it was the most interesting I think you could have gotten running single file up top. Honestly. Because it was all about who's going to have to stop first. Who hasn't been saving as, mu as much fuel. You know? Who's not going to be able to make it to the They weren't even running single file. They are running double file. Right. Side yeah. by side. Exactly. But that's the thing. It's like, I, I apologize. You're right. But, but that's my whole thing. It's like, who's going and, to... And, and we kind of saw it again in Atlanta. That's honestly the kind of thing that I... I, I hope to see, you know, in the, at least in the Xfinity series, you had guys running out. You know, that's that's the kind of gambling on fuel mileage stuff that I want to see. I, I don't know. That's my take of it. We'll move on because uh, I took a lot. I, I talked a lot about that. So we'll move on now. Um, let's see here. NASCAR should have the ability to change stage ending procedures to prevent back to back downtime for cautions. Do you upshift or downshift this, Josh? Oh, this one uh, kind of came. This question came to me, and I thought this would be a fun one to talk about. Um, I've really bounced back and forth on this because that was a long, like 10, 15 minutes. You had a caution, you know, one lap shootout, then you had another caution. That's not the, my point to haul that is, and my thought, like, this is not entertaining. This is boring. Why can't we change the, okay, the stage is over. Everyone pit if you want to, and we're going to restart stage two now instead of having a one lap shootout. It's just a lot of downtime, a lot of commercials. I lost interest. I was losing interest. Part part of my losing interest now is just who's broadcasting. Well, right. I did not. I will admit to you right now. I did not watch the truck race because I didn't want to watch seven hours of Fox on Saturday. I only watched the Xfinity Series race. Well, you didn't miss much, so I know I didn't miss much. That's just, we'll, we'll kind of talk about that a little bit later you, too. You but, literally uh, could have just not watched it all on Saturday and have been content. Yeah. You, you would have uh, but, already have known what, it hap what would happen. Yeah, I mean, I kind of figure what happened would happen. Anyways, that's not what we're talking about here. But I think this I is... Um, I don't know. I, I kind of want to upshift this. I'm sure that would be super controversial, but uh, it's the sucky part about stage stages when you have cautions, right? You know, you, this is, you can have this happen. You have these stupid one-lap shootouts. I'm like, just bring everyone down pit road. Let's end it. It's over. Bring everyone down pit road. Let's restart the second stage because 
again. And I like think about the people in the stands too. Doesn't matter what racetrack you're at. When you just ran 15 laps and only one of them was green in the middle, that's boring. Sucks. So, I don't know. I kind of want to upshift this, but I don't know. I'm going to upshift it just to, for craps and giggles, I think, at this point, because, yeah, I'm just going to upshift. I'm just going to upshift. You know what? I don't think you should be ashamed for upshifting because I upshift as well. This well, is a very you. easy thing for me to upshift because it is unnecessary. It is entire. No, why in the world? It doesn't make any sense to throw a green flag and then have one lap and then immediately throw another yellow flag. I don't get it. That's that's just stupid. It's a waste of time. If that caution comes out and there's three laps to go in the stage and it takes three laps to clean this thing up, just let it take three laps. Just declare the stage over, you know, or even not, you know, even in the situation in Atlanta, there was no reason why we should have done. We should have just said, nope, okay, caution's coming out, stage is over. Because all you did, all you did, thank God it didn't happen, but all you did was create a scenario for a big wreck to happen. And NASCAR, you know what? People want to give NASCAR, especially me, not necessarily people, but just me, me specifically. I want to give NASCAR the benefit of the doubt and say that the current people in charge are do not hope for big crashes, okay? That they hope for good racing over big crashes. The decision that they made at Atlanta about this, regarding this, makes me question that integrity because it seems to me that with the way they do this and with the way that they do green-white checkers and all this other stuff, it very much makes me think that they are hell-bent on wadding things up because it's good TV time. It's good social media fodder or whatever. No. The finish of this race, which we'll talk about in a little bit, that's good for social media fodder. That's what people want to see. And that guy's wadding them up for stupid reasons. You know, and you're, you're creating that. You're artificially creating opportunities to do that when in reality you could just end the stage, call it call it what it is, say, hey, congrats, you guys, you were ahead at this end of the stage because it's just a stage. It's not like it's the finish. Nobody really cares if the stage ends under caution. Nobody cares. Nobody is throwing beer bottles onto the track because a stage didn't end under green. Like, it's just not happening. You know, you you don't have to treat a stage finish the same way you would finish treat a race finish. You could just say, okay, stage is over. That is what it is. Like I, I really, I really and truly think that if a caution comes out within five laps of the stage being over, they should just call the stage over and just I mean, that would be a good rule. If a ca- if if a caution comes out within five laps of the end of the stage, the stage will automatically end once the when we get the lineup it's 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 over boom we're, we're yeah. rolling into uh pit, pit stops and we're starting the next stage that's just that's we already, great we already waste time oh and laps with the stage transitions we we waste there's so many laps wasted so it's many ridiculous it's absolutely ridiculous remember I when cautions it. were like never more than four laps it didn't matter what track you were at like yeah. richmond Four lap caution. Maybe that maybe that short tracks might be an exaggeration, but like 
There was so big, like Atlanta, you'd never have more than four laps of caution unless you had a major wreck. Yeah. You know? Yeah, man. Yeah. Back in the day. Like, it, 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 I don't know. I, I think there's a big problem, and I don't understand why NASCAR can't just embrace the fact that their product is not for people with short attention spans. Embrace the people who have long, like, I, I have a short attention span, but I can watch a race. I can watch a 24 hour race. Okay, if I'm interested enough, if the racing is good enough, I will watch it. I don't care. It'll keep me engaged. You know, what 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 we're doing with just running laps, of course people are going to sit on their phones and then miss starts and restarts and all that stuff. Cuz what is what else there is to do? It's uh, you're you're watching another ad for some weight loss drug. You know? At least back in our day, like Josh, you know, when if if these ads were happening that much, at least they would feature NASCAR drivers. At least it would be a funny ad with Dale Jr. and Michael Waltrip. You know, at least you could at least guarantee that every time NASCAR took a break, there was going to be some commercial featuring Michael Waltrip doing something stupid, or something silly, or hilarious, or whatever, or Dale Jr. being funny. You know. Or or Ken Schrader pretending to be a, a standee at a frickin' gas station while the cardboard cutout of him drives on the track. Or the M&M's guys tying up Kyle Busch and taking over his car and... Are we winning? I thought you were looking! You know? Great, great commercials. You don't see that anymore. It's all about Peyronie's disease pills and, like, male enhancement drugs that don't feature Mark Martin in the ads. Or even Kevin Conway. I would love to see at least Kevin Conway push extends pills over whatever crap we've got now. At least make the commercials better. Anyway, I'm gonna I'm gonna move on. I'm gonna move on. I got I got way off topic there, but you knew what I meant. You knew what I meant. Um, all right. Next question: Do you upshift or downshift that the IndyCar restart line is intended to keep the field in in a single file line or in a file formation? Uh, until a driver passes the line. Josh. Uh, I don't know. It's going to be very interesting to see how this... This is this is really going to be dictated based on where the line is. Right? Yeah. Where's the line located? Um, because if, like, at Laguna Seca, you know, they cited Laguna Seca a lot, but that line's got to be on the front stretch. That line's got to be after turn... That's turn eleven at Laguna Seca, right? That final corner. It has yeah. to be after that. Has to be after that corner. Um, it can't be before then because you're going to run into the same issues. Um, I don't know. I, I like that they're trying to fix it because that was a joke. <laughs> um, there's also been some street races that have, you know, had this issue. You have to put it on a straightaway that is going to give time for people like, okay, to have a somewhat separation and not break immediately right after. Right. Um, so, um, I don't know. I kind of, I, 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 I'm going to upshift this. I like it, but it's a soft one because I don't, I, I'm, I'm not prepared to trust the execution of their where they're going to put the lines at, you know what I mean? That's that's that's, that's what concerns me at the moment. Well, I mean, for me, in my in my opinion, I think anything that can make IndyCar restarts less of a complete train wreck and dumpster fire, I'm all for. 
So I can't I can't really find a main reason to downshift this. So it's a pretty easy upshift for me. Um, and I'm fine with that because I really think that, I mean, I understand the driver's perspective and I understand, you know, a driver can get really antsy and jumpy, but we, it's the accordion effects, man. It's the accordion effects that happen. And, you know, it's the accordion it, effects and putting two cars where one car is supposed to go, exactly. three cars, two cars supposed to go, whatever it is. Exactly. It's it, you know, if this, if this helps that, then I'm all for it. So, all right, we'll move on to the next one here. Uh, Fernando Alonso predicts that the Formula One field will have a, quote, very intense fight behind Max Verstappen. Do you upshift or downshift uh, Alonso's prediction? Yeah, I think he's right. Upshift. I think this is going to be a Max Verstappen championship, and it's going to be a very exciting chase for second. So, uh, hopefully Fernando is a part of that um, more than just the first third of the year, like he was last year. But, you know, we're, I, again, preseason testing hasn't really shown much, shown me much, and it never really does. Um, but looking ahead, I have no idea what to expect uh, during the first practice session at Bahrain. I really and truthfully do not know what to expect. I don't know what to expect during qualifying. Okay, and I say this every F1 season because I feel like during Formula, in Formula 1, you want it's so easy to want to just say oh you know red bull are gonna do great again and that that, sometimes that doesn't always happen you think it's gonna happen like you know it you you predict it's gonna happen but sometimes there's those years where it's like no they're they're just they're not they don't have the edge that they had you know and i i personally think this is just my opinion this is just my humble opinion I think right now, at least starting at Bahrain, going back to these Christian Horner stuff, this has been a huge off-season distraction, all right, within Red Bull. This has been quite a big distraction off-season. And this involves basically their team boss, okay, the team principal. This is a big thing. If they're able to overcome that huge of a distraction and still put out the best race car in Formula 1, more power to them. If they are able to do what they did last year, given all of the turmoil that has gone down within the last three months, more power to them. I say. I say. Be, and, and I don't have a problem with that. But I don't think that's going to happen. Because I really do think that that turmoil behind the scenes is going to slow down Red Bull a bit. That's and I think... A cool statement. Yeah, okay. I, I'm not saying... I'm not saying it's not a given that Verstappen is going to lose the championship. He's still probably very well win the championship. Now, is he going to, say, clinch it in September? No. No. I don't think that's going to happen. Is he going to win all but one race? No. Don't think that's going to happen either. I think he's going to win the majority of the races, but I do not think he's going to dominate like he did last year. I think it is going to be a little bit more of a fight. And I think that Red Bull are going to show some, not many, but some occasional weaknesses. You know, there could be races where they just have bad qualifying. Just don't just don't hit the 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 setup right. You know, fix it in the race. But, you know, given their track position, given their qualifying can only make up 
one or two positions. You know, they might still get a podium, but winning might be might be tough. So I do think that Alonso might have, might be onto something here because I do think that that midfield pack is going to be very interesting to watch. I also think I also think the bottom of the pack is going to also be something to watch because I think Haas is going to be junk. I think uh, whatever stake F1 is going to be junk. And I think Alpine is going to be junk. I think all three of those guys are going to be absolute, complete junk. And it's going to be hilarious to watch the three of those guys scrap it out for 10th. Because it's going to happen. They're, they're gonna, one of those guys going to be in an opportunity to get 10th. And it is going to be one hell of a scrap. Because those guys are going to be driving some poor handling race cars. And you're going to see some true driver talent on display. You know, you're going to see why Formula One drivers who drive the worst race cars end up being the best drivers when they get into sports cars or IndyCar or hell, even NASCAR. Trust me. <laughs> You're going to see why. Because it takes talent to not wreck one of those things when it handles like, you know, as Nicky Lauda put it in the film Rush or whoever he was playing is, you know. You cannot say that. It's a Ferrari. It's a shitbox. <laughs> Such a great film. But that's it, right. That's right. I mean, it takes true talent to drive a car that terrible. And I think that's probably also might be something Alonzo's, uh, you know, alluding to at the very least in, in saying, hey, you might see this. These cars might be so terrible that they'll be wheeling it, you know, uh, like hell. Driving like back. That's out of hell. All right, moving on. Moving on, next question here. Uh, Joseph Newgarden's dragon move below the racing surface at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway uh, is now illegal. Do you upshift or downshift the new rule change, Josh? I mean, if they would have come out the day after the 500 last year and said this move is illegal for 2024, I would have upshifted. I'm upshifting it now, 100%. That was a dangerous move. Split second later, he's... Nose first in the attenuator, and who knows where the car goes after that point, and who knows how many other cars get collected, who knows where those cars go. It's a bad deal. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how they police it, how far they let the car go down below the white line. I mean, effectively, this is going to be from the attenuator down to turn four. That's going to be a equivalent to NASCAR at Super Speedways, the double yellow line, um, or Atlanta, the double white line. Um you know, out of bounds. So it's going to be interesting to see how much of the car they're going to allow below that line. There's going to have to be some sort of leeway, but going as far as down as he did there, absolutely. 100%. Um, I would have, I mean, to me, I would, if I was Roger, I'm like, man, that's a great move. I'm going to punch you in your nose now because you're a dumbass. <laughs> you should not have done that. Um, yeah. If I was his wife, I would have, Kicked his butt because that was stupid. I mean, you gotta. How old was their kid at that point? Everybody in the stands. Of yeah. course, it would scare his wife, right? Yeah, I mean, it, absolutely. I mean, like, I would have applauded her for kicking him in the butt after the after, after he climbed out. Like that was a stupid yeah. move. I Probably mean, seriously, her more than everybody else, right? Yeah, I mean that it, it really was dumb. Um, and I'm sure Joseph may not admit it. But I'm, I, he probably has looked back on that like, wow, I really, the definition of laying it all on the line, I did it right there. All, all to win. Ultimately, I say this with respect, 
I say that doesn't make a point. Just a race. All that to win, just a race. The thing about that. So, you know, um, and, I, and I know that it's not just a race, but I'm just saying yeah, at the yeah, end of the day, it's a race. I, we know what you meant. We know what yeah, you mean. It's just a race. So um, uh, 1% upshift. Very proud that, that they got this one right. They got this call right. Well, Josh, I have really nothing to add to that other than I wholeheartedly upshift. They should have done this literally the day after the 500. They should have done this literally after while Joseph was in victory lane and said, all right, we're making a new rule that says you can't do that ever again. Congratulations. Here's your milk. Here's your Borg Warner. Don't ever do that again. Um, like you exploited a rule that we hadn't made because we didn't think anyone was stupid to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Now you have done it and now we have to make a rule about it. Yeah. It's, I mean, literally, it's, it, it, you would have thought that it would be a self policing rule. Yeah. Like, it, it, you're going into the pit lane at over 220 miles an hour and then darting across the lawn, across the track almost immediately again. Like, it's, it's, it's an insane move. Like, if I'm playing like iRacing or like the IndyCar series games from Codemasters from like 20 years ago, which are still great games, right? Um, like, I wouldn't even ever think to do that. Like, when I qualify, I, I weave down to the inside, right? When I'm qualifying, I'm always weaving down to the inside because I'm trying to take the lo- the I'm trying to take all of the track I can coming off the corner and then immediately dart down to the inside when I'm qualifying to reduce, you know, and then arc my corner, arc the corner entry as much as I can, literally because it's just me qualifying. I'm a complete dick when I qualify, right? Because there's nobody else around me. But, like... Even then, like, I never in my entire life thought, man, I could probably shave off a couple of tenths here and there if I just almost go into pit lane and then pull out. Like, I never thought of that. I never thought of that in my head because I was just like, no, that's stupid. I'll wreck. I'll, I'll, I'll hurt. I'll destroy. I mean, even if it's just a video game, I'll wreck. I'll ruin my lap. What's the point of that? Here's Newgarden doing it to win the actual race in real life. I mean... Okay, I get it, but still, man, we got to police that because that is not something that anybody ever expected to see at Indianapolis. Yeah. All right, moving on here. Next question. A lack of practice for younger drivers was a big problem in the truck and Xfinity races at Atlanta, and it directly caused the lack of too wide action. Do you upshift or downshift this statement, Josh? I actually am going to upshift this. I think part of the reason, and this is what scares me about Cup, in the next, like, in 10 years from now. We need practice. There's, there's dozens of reasons why we need practice. And, like, more than you get 20 minutes. I'm talking you get, you know, we're talking three hours worth of practice. There is, there is plenty of track time for everyone who's racing there that weekend. Um, these guys, they're go. Imagine! Your second truck race ever. You're approved to race truck. You have not... The only time you've got to go on track before the race is one qualifying lap. You think about SVG. I mean, seriously, though. He's had... The only practice he's had at all at these big super speedways was the ARCA, ARCA. ARCA set practice session. And then he didn't get... 
to qualify because of group qualify. He DNQ'd, had to buy his way in, then wrecked, barely got any experience there, had to go into the Xfinity race at Daytona, wrecked there, barely got any ex- experience, then comes to Atlanta. Thank God he finishes third, right? But, yeah. I mean, it was, he was literally baptized by fire during the situation. Yeah, so this is all, this is how, it, there, there's a point where, and Denny Hamlin has said this on his podcast too, there's a point where saving money is actually not a good thing. This is all in the name of saving money for teams. Welcome to racing. If you're scared, wear a helmet. This is going to cost you money. This is a. This is not. Let's go buy a a hand pump and blow up a basketball and go shoot hoops on a goal with no net. You gotta spend money in this game, so put practice down. If you don't want to buy practice tires, you don't want to practice. That's on you. Just don't but, practice. Don't go but, out. Yeah, but but these guys here. But my but to get to the back to the question here. These guys don't know how to race in a pack. They don't know how to make moves to smartly um, dive down. Parker Kligerman, AJ Omendinger, Justin Allgaier, they've been doing this for a long time. They were the ones making the moves in that Xfinity race. Uh, Kyle Busch, I'm sure he's got a great handling truck. He's obviously a great driver. However many NASCAR races he's won now. I mean, it's... it's well, over 200... Like, well, 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 I don't know how close he is. Is he even like two? It's a lot. He's close to two twenty, I think. Yeah, it's a lot. Say. So my, they know how to write. They know how to race these things. They know how to judge to make a move. All these other guys are too scared to pull out uh, of line to, yeah, to try anything because no one's going to follow them. Well, if you don't have a, if you have a field full of people who aren't going to follow you because. They got no confidence in you because they don't have any practice. The racing's going to look like crap. Now, with that said, I'm <laughs> yelling and I'm going on a ramp. I, I think there's it. more, like, at the Atlanta, I think the, the, this, it's built perfectly for the next-gen car. Um, and the, uh, I can't remember, did I include it in here? I did not. I think part of the reason with the some of the Xfinity problem is these races was too short. I think you could potentially fix these fuel-saving deals by lengthening the race. Never shorten a race, but lengthening the race like by another 25 miles kind of puts them in a box like, okay, I can't, we can't save that much fuel to not pit uh, to, to eliminate that fuel-saving deal. We can't do that. So that could be a solution. So therefore, you have to race, or you're going to have more guys who are in, incentivized to race because they can't save enough fuel. Um, and their arrow and the truck's arrow, obviously truck arrow sucks on a, it's so not super good. speed, super speedway racing is never really going to be great in with, with trucks at all. So it's just a tough spot. Um, but again, if you got, give these cats more practice on the track, they're going to have more confidence in the race to make moves, to go to wide racing. Otherwise, 10 years from now, the all super speedway racing is going to be boring and trash because no one knows how to super speedway race until the last lap where everyone just goes for a free for all. That might be a very hot take and I don't know how people would feel about that. But again, 
more practice across the board for everyone, the racing will actually improve, folks. And the broadcast will improve too, by the way. Sorry, that's just a side yeah. note. Yeah. You know, no, I, I see, here's the thing. This is a very interesting question to me because I don't necessarily think that it's the lack of practice. I don't know if you saw the truck race pre-race, but Matt Crafton went full-on scorched earth during it. Um, he absolutely trashed and torched, torched all of the young drivers. He basically, to, to, to kind of summarize what he said, he was like, when he was growing up, when he was first starting out in the trucks, he would he would get nervous. Matt Crafton was saying this. He would basically get nervous that he was pestering the old guys too much with his questions. He used to be asking Ron Hornaday, Jack Sprague, uh, Mike Skinner, you know, people like that all the time for advice, you know. And Kevin Harvick, when he was coming up through trucks too, Crafton mentioned that Harvick did it and that Kyle Busch would do did the same thing. And he said, and I quote, within the last five years, None of them have even come to talk to him. He's got three truck championships, and nobody is coming to him for advice. They are literally ignoring him or disrespecting him or not, you know, not even acknowledging his contributions to the truck series, right? And, accolades. You, you know, you might sit there and you might think, okay, well, Crafton is being, you know, He's being a prima donna about it. Okay, he's being, you know, he he thinks he should be better. And it's like, no, he's frustrated because none of these drivers are actually willing or showing any desire to learn and to change. Instead of going to the different drivers and, and the older drivers and asking them, hey, how do you drive this? You know, what do you do here? How do you, what, what do you do in this situation? You know, or going up to them after a wreck and saying, hey, you know, I screwed up. I'm sorry. You know, I apologize. You know, I, I, here's what I did wrong. Or can you maybe help me understand what I did wrong? You know, Crafton basically was like, nobody's doing that. So that tells to me that it's not necessarily it's a lack of practice. I mean, the lack of practice does. Do I think it plays into it? Yes. I absolutely do think that the lack of practice plays into it. But I don't think it's the 100% thing. I think we live in an era where all of these guys are getting most of their racing experience, not through actual experience, like testing, you know, because you used to like, you know, back when a lot of these guys were coming up, you used to test as much as you want, or you maybe not test as much as you want, but you still had a lot of test test sessions. You could use so many test sessions, or you could only test the non-sanctioned NASCAR tracks, things like that. You could test as much as you want, but it had to be done at like, you know, a track that NASCAR didn't sanction. So like Pikes Peak or something, you know, a track that was op or like a short track or something. A lot of guys would test it like, you know, I think what it was, Greg Biffle went like 212 miles an hour unrestricted around Texas World Speedway in like 2009. It was ridiculous. Um, but but yeah, you used to be able to do that. You can't do that now. So all these guys do is they sit on their computers and they sit in their video games. And in their video games, they're freaking, un they're, they're, I mean, they're invincible. You know, you get in an accident, you hit the wall, whatever, you just press a button, you reset, done. You don't have to pay for the, you don't, you don't have to worry about paying for the new car, paying for the damages, you know, doing any of that. And it teaches them bad habits that they normally would. So it's like the simulator, it can be good and it can also be bad, you know, 
it can be good in helping them understand setups and helping them understand, you know, cert, you know, how to drive certain tracks, learning certain crevices here and there, you know, learning different ideas. But when it gets down to the racing product, it doesn't teach them anything because they don't what do they, they don't have any fears. They don't have to have any fears. You know, they go back, they watch footage from years ago when these guys did have fears, and they think, oh, yeah, well, I they did that, so I'll just try that. And it's like, no, you want to know why they did that? They did it because, A, something was on the line that was far greater than what anybody else thought of. Or, B, they just let the adrenaline take over, and they did a really stupid move that they probably wouldn't have made ever again. And probably don't make ever again. You know? I mean, a more recent example of this would be the Hail Melon. Ross has admitted he didn't want to do that. He didn't plan to do it. He literally did it because it was a split-second decision, and a playoff spot was on the line, and he just did it. Okay? Back in the day, a lot of guys, same thing. Split-second decision, you've got one shot, go and do it. But, and again, another reason for this, I think, too, is a lot of these guys know that they can win by – they can get in the playoffs by winning one of these races. So they go even more balls to the wall. You, see, you saw it a couple of years ago with Corey LaJoy. I mean, that dude was a dart out of feathers a couple of years ago at Atlanta because he literally called a shot. And he said, I, I either – I'm going to, uh, you know, bring home this, the checkered flag or the steering wheel. And he did. And he was a dart out of feathers the whole race. And it ended up with him getting wrecked. Same thing happens to these guys. They're so desperate to get that win, to save their seasons. Because you don't need a points race anymore either. NASCAR has made points racing bad. They don't, points racing is a bad thing. So these young kids, they come up, they see, they go, oh, well, uh, if I finish sixth, that's just flat not good enough. I have to win. Finishing sixth. Not good enough. I have to take it three, four wide, make a daringly stupid move, slam draft the car in front because he's not going where I want to go. I got to go do something because sixth, sixth means nothing anymore. You know, back 20 years ago, sixth still meant something. And NASCAR has done their damnedest to kill points racing. And I think it's a lot of these, a lot of the factors that I just, re, I just listed. In addition to, in addition to, like you mentioned, Whatever it was, I think that the the package that they brought for the truck in the Xfinity race this weekend was just terrible. Whatever package they brought, they need to go back to the drawing table and get rid of it. I say run the Xfinity cars unrestricted there. I mean, that's my opinion. I say take, take, take the tapered spacers off and just let those things fly. You know, they're not boo-hoo. Oh, no, they're going faster than cup cars. I don't care. Nobody cares. They already do. Everybody knows they already do. It's not a secret. You're just trying to prevent it. Just take those tapered spacers off. Or, or here's a radical idea. Here's a radical idea. Maybe make the spoilers just a little bit bigger. You don't have to make them big. You don't have to make them those giant, you know, flat ones and things and, and really slow the cars down. No, not do that. But just maybe make them a little bit bigger. Maybe make it a little bit easier to draft up. I don't know. Maybe make side drafting matter a little bit more. Maybe do that. That might, I think, fix your problems. Truck series, I don't know. I think trucks just suck. Trucks, for whatever reason, just... They, 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 I think the trucks also need to be un, unrestricted. They go too slow. 
And I, I don't think it makes for a good product when the trucks are just quite simply going too slow. But that is more my things. I think that it's a, it's a multitude of things. I, I, I think lack of practice plays into it, but I think that there's, there's a multitude of things to it. All right. Uh, penultimate question here. Did we like back-to-back super speedway races to kick off the NASCAR season? How are you shifting on this, Josh? I, I honestly don't have any complaints with it. I mean, when you look at, you take out things you just talked about, you know, the product, what it actually looked like. I thought it was good. I, I enjoyed it. I don't have any complaints with it. I upshift um, until there's probably a, a solution, a, a points race solution in Southern California. I could see Atlanta being... The second race, you know, uh, putting where I work aside, I thought maybe, you know, I don't know what the CODA restrictions are as far as race dates are, but, I mean, I thought CODA would be a good slot for this, you know, uh, for the second weekend. But I think you had two exciting race race weekends to kick off the 2024 season between Daytona and Atlanta, and um, uh, I, I didn't mind it. I upshifted that. It was a – it was – I enjoyed – the cup races, at least, uh, both cup races, at least, is put like that, and that's where it matters. I mean, I I also didn't hate it. Um, I think what I would have because because here's the thing: Atlanta is at least for the Cup Series, it has it's done very well for itself. I mean, there was so much skepticism. Everybody was so skeptical. You and I were both skeptical, and I think there's still reason to be skeptical about this. Because you don't want to, you know, I think people are afraid to like New Atlanta because they don't want this to become the template for all other mile and a half tracks. Like, they don't want that, and I understand that. If that ends up happening, I really feel like you're going to have a massive pushback from everybody. Not just fans, but drivers and teams, because this Atlanta thing works because of how unique it is and because of how bumpy it is. You know, if you try and take this kind of thing anywhere else, right, it's not going to be as successful. You're either going to have to make sure, make absolutely sure that that surface wears like a mother, or, I, I mean, it's it's just not going to work. It's just not practical. So I think, but, so in taking that, I think it's okay to like New Atlanta. And as a result of that, I think it's okay to like back-to-back super speedway races. My only thing... My only concern is you've got people now that are talking about NASCAR. I mean, this, we just had another viral moment. I mean, Adam Stern posted something about this being a hugely viral moment for NASCAR with the finish and everything. My biggest concern is this is what – when you get these casual fans coming in, that these people that don't typically watch NASCAR, they see this. My biggest concern is that they expect it every week. You know, I think a lot of people, especially like let's take with the Hail Melon, I think a lot of people tuned into Phoenix expecting something very similar. And what they got was quite honestly a a terrible race and a complete flaw in how the championship is decided. And I think that soured a lot of people. I think what you're seeing now is people tune in. You just had two of the more, I mean, Obviously, ratings are up. Daytona 500 ratings are up. Atlanta ratings are up. I'm worried that 
the same these same fans are going to tune into Las Vegas and be like, "What is this? They're all spread out now." You know, those fans are not going to realize that this is not how it is. Well, then this that comes in where we're the education of this right. is where it, where it falls on the broadcast to be like, okay, this is why what you're seeing is different today because right. you know, or we're so you need to have that moment where we can accuse Fox or NBC of being too education, too repetitively educational. But like, this is a good time, All right? Yeah. Where we have a we have a where we apparently are we're seemingly having a lot of new fans. Oh, uh, we're going to treat them as new fans because our ratings are up. So we got to educate people on why this racing is different, why this track doesn't race like Atlanta or Daytona. I mean, I hope that that doesn't deter people. That's that's really my only concern yeah, yeah. about op- the opening the season with because you'll get this. I think the Daytona 500 every year traditionally has been one of, if not the highest rated NASCAR races of the season. I think it's right? typically the highest rated season. It is race right season. exactly. Yeah. So, you know, I think you really want to try and retain people with that. And like I said, that's just my biggest worry is these new fans that tune in because, oh, it's the Daytona 500. Oh, it's NASCAR. And then they see this Atlanta finish and think, oh, that racing was a lot like what I saw at Daytona, only this was a lot better. I'll tune in next week and maybe that'll be just as good. And then they re- they cut, tune in and they're like, oh. They're all spread out. What is what is this? I, I expected a, a three-wide finish just like this or a two-wide finish or, you know, at least for them to finish within a second of each other, you know? It's like that doesn't always happen. I mean, and, I, and, the one, the counterpoint, not to interrupt you, I apologize. No, I know. To, to say to that would be, what if you turn into a basketball game for the for the first time and you never watch a basketball game but you really didn't pay attention to it and you see and there's like a buzzer beater. You you see you have that Caitlin Clark moment where it's seventy three oh, seventy three yeah. and she nails a three from seven feet beyond the arc or football where it's a last second touchdown or a last you know a, a, a two minute drill drive down the field or baseball to grand slam. I feel like this situation could exist in any sport in a way too. Oh, um, right. But with NASCAR, the problem with NASCAR is right. Yeah, it's once a week. Not you have a couple different options to see throughout the week, and knowing how NASCAR management has been, they are hell bent on manufacture artificially manufacturing game seven moments at all. Yeah, and and when you're and we can we'll uh, we'll hit on this later. Yeah, we can talk about this later. You can't ride. You can say, "Well, this is a freaking cool moment," but you can't drill that three wide finish into the hearts and minds of people that like. Okay, you have a. 45 lap run to the finish at Las Vegas, you're probably not going to get a, a three wide. You're probably not going to get two wide, certainly not a three wide finish at the right. end. Right. Yeah. You're, you're absolutely right. So that is a good segue. We'll talk in here. Was the three wide finish, this is the last question, was the three wide finish at Atlanta Motor Speedway between Daniel Suarez, Kyle Busch, and Ryan Blaney a better finish than Ricky Craven and Kurt Busch's Darlington finish from 2003? How are you shifting on this one, Josh? I am so curious. I am so excited to hear this. This is going to be a fun one. I remember watching that Darlington race. Um, you know, it, it's hard to gauge eight and a half year old Josh um, watching that finish um, and comparing, geez, um, 29 and a half year old Josh. 
the Atlanta finish. It's hard to gauge that difference. You know, this the starstruck kid and the adult who's been to several races. Um, I honestly thought this was better. I upshift. I think when you look at, I think it's just the three. It's the three wide, and it was no beating and banging. It was clean. And I did, and and the amazement part that I appreciate is that when I saw Kyle go three wide into turn three, I'm like, they're all wrecking. He's going to take the air off Blaney. Blaney's going to overcorrect to the right, and he's going to wipe out everyone on that top side. And Bubba is going to sneak by on the bottom and win this thing. <laughs> That's that is the scenario that played out in my head. And for whatever reason, everyone lined up correctly. The air was right. And they all made it through. And I, I thought it was better. That doesn't take away from the Darlington Fish 03. That's forever going to be a classic. I mean, when you look when you look when you look at the best finishes in NASCAR history, think about this. NASCAR 70 this is a 76 year NASCAR, right? Yes. They, people were still showing that Talladega finish when they were when they were like that's not that's not three that wasn't a three wide finish yes they were three wide but they weren't right nose to nose to nose okay but when that finish happened and I was you know fifteen years old almost going on sixteen that was awesome uh, but now, yeah I'm saying like that's that that's true I think it I think it was a great finish fun to watch bummed Mark Martin couldn't hang on Gordon's bumper longer to push him across the so line was first. everybody. Yeah, because um, I certainly did not want to see Jimmy win, and um, and I didn't want Jimmy to see him to win a damn thing back then. <laughs> no one did. And I didn't want to see Boyer win either. Um, certainly didn't want. At the time, I really wasn't a Carl Edwards fan. I didn't want to see Carl Edwards win either. So I really could not have disliked. I would like to see three. Carl Edwards win for redemption for '09, but that was just me at the time. True, but so to me, when I think about it, like so, when I since I've been watching. NASCAR, there's probably only been seven to eight, maybe ten finishes. And I'm like, wow, that was amazing. That was a great side by side. And I don't and I don't always count two wide finishes at Daytona or Taldega because that's that's so out of the norm, right? But Atlanta, this is so new and so fresh that the way I thought when Blaney sailed it into turn one, I'm like he's got this thing won. I think he's got it won. I, I think they're not going to get to him. I don't think you can. They they can't get a run in time. I know the runs come real quick, yeah. but I don't think they're going to have enough momentum to catch him. And then he pulls that move out, and it just drags it drags Blaney back. Let Suarez roll up. To me, I thought it was better than Darlington. I really genuinely do. And I, I really hope that the, the people in our generation and older generation, if anyone's listening to that, does not like throw darts at my face no, at a wall. Um, but, uh, you know, to me, I, I will forever love Darlington. Have you ever? No, I've never. Well, it lives rent free in my mind. I can still but, quote that whole last lap for some reason. It's ingrained in my memory. It is a core a, memory. It's a it's a great memory to have that and Blaney. Let's not forget that Dave Blaney finished third that day. Um, but uh, um, I I 
I, I, I do believe Atlanta. And it all really just comes down to it was three wide at a sort of a newer track, and it was all clean. It was clean and unexpected from from and it yeah. was unexpected from when Blaine, like I said, when Blaine entered turn one, I had him as the winner. I had him as the winner. I could have almost turned off the TV or walked away, but I didn't. And I we got I think what was a, a great, great finish. Well, my take on this and I appreciate your view on that because it's a good view and I, I totally like it. I uh, uh, let me go and explain my um my how i watched this race so i watched the final lap and i the whole with two to two to go i'm watching this i'm sitting here and i'm watching this i'm like all right they're either if they're gonna wreck number one the whole time i'm just think i'm just waiting for him to wreck because i just i'm desensitized to it like i know it's gonna happen it's inevitable these guys are going crazy these guys are beating and banging these guys are touching i mean literally they were touching they were touching and hitting and all this stuff and and squirreling around, squirming around and everything. And like you said, you saw Blaney sail it down into turn one in the last lap, and you're thinking, all right, he's got this. But I was also thinking, all right, what, where's Blaney going to block? He's going to have to block both lanes. He's got to block both lanes. He had to. If he doesn't block, blow, I, I said to myself, because I'm watching him go through turn two at this time, and I'm like, he's got to come off turn two and he's got to go shoot to the high side and he's got to go shoot to the bottom side. He's got to do the dragon all along the backstretch and then arc it into the corner and just pray, right? That's what he had to do. I was throw, I was blown away when he covered the bottom exclusively. And I was like, no way. No way he covered the bottom and didn't even go, go up high. So all this is happening like really fast and I'm just like taken aback. I'm I'm struggling to like process what I'm watching because I'm so confused as why I didn't see Blaney shoot right back up the track like I expected him to. Like he held his line. He held his line and just committed and said, I'm gonna block the inside. And he blocked the inside. And as soon as he did that, Suarez and Bush got a run because they were on the outside. And it's like I knew that was gonna happen. I knew that was going to happen. They were going to have the momentum coming up on the outside. It was going to ha- it was inevitable. Bush goes to the outs- inside three wide. Uh, Suarez goes to the outside three wide. Excuse me. Bush goes to the middle three wide. Suarez goes to the outside. And from that point on, I'm like, oh, 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 they're going three wide. This is, this is, this is how it's going to finish. So I'm freaking out. I originally thought Blaney won it. I was like, who won this? How do you even figure out who won this? this uh, Blaney won first, uh, one, right. one at first two. I think everybody did. I think I even heard Boyer. I think th- from where Boyer was Boyer standing. Boyer gets a lot of things wrong, though. I mean, he does, but I kind of understand him getting that wrong because I got it wrong, too. I said Blaney, you know, based on where it was. I was like, Blaney got that. But no, it was Suarez by the barest of margins, right? And and so when I look at that, I'm like, that's that's fine. That's 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 a fun finish, right? That's a fun finish. That was a good finish. But but Darlington 2003 is, is something special, and I, I don't think it's something that we'll ever see be, be replicated. Uh, and the reason why I say that is because Darlington 03 happened after a long green flag run. Bush and Craven were basically driving... I said it once before in the show. I'll say it again. They were basically driving shit boxes at this point. 
All right, their cars were destroyed. Their tires were destroyed. They were just two guys going balls to the wall, all out, trying to beat one another. Ricky Craven was kind of the, at the time, at least, he was a, the savvy veteran, or, you know, he, he'd been in a lot of, he'd been, he was a journeyman. You know, he'd people a long were, time. He'd been around a while. Uh, the, 20, the 32 ride, the PPI ride, was not one of the top rides. Kurt Busch was a young hotshot in one of the top rides in NASCAR. And they were both being chased by the Buckeye Bullet, Dave Blaney, who only ever got maybe one decent ride in his career, and that was with RCR. Um, and after that, every other team he ever drove for was a complete dumpster fire. So he's driving for the, Jas- the Jasper team, which at the time was still a, a pretty good team before they got uh, absorbed by Penske. Um, I mean, they weren't the greatest, but, you know, they were okay. Uh, and Blaney was just hounding them down, but he was just trying to bring it home in one piece because this is arguably his best finish ever. Craven and Bush didn't care. Bush wants the win because he's a young hotshot. He's Kurt Bush. We all know how Kurt Bush is. He's competitive, especially back then he was very competitive. We all know how Ricky Craven is. Ricky Craven was not going to give up. Ricky Craven doesn't get very many opportunities to win these races. He was not going to give up. Those two battled like they had nothing to lose. And it was a thrilling battle because you saw two guys fighting with their cars. And I mean literally fighting. Fighting with their cars. I mean, they were trying different lines. They were trying everything to beat the other guy. They were throwing blocks. They were, you know, sending it into turn one. Sending it into turn three, you know. If I hit the wall, I hit the wall. Who cares? I'm sending it. I've got to get, you know, a, a tenth. I've got to get two tenths away from this guy. You know, they're sending it. Kurt's chasing Craven. Craven's chasing Kurt. They don't care. They're hitting the wall. They're crashing. They're throwing all everything at it. It's it's what I think about when I think about a good old fashioned NASCAR style race of two guys who don't care about anything but getting the checkered flag first. Money, who cares? Trophy, who cares? I just want to win this race. That's what it was all about. And I look at that, and I say, can you really, can you really put that on the same pedestal as, last, as, as Sunday night? And, and, and I, would, I would say that perhaps, perhaps, it is, it is very close. It is a very close call. But I think it, it, is, it is not going to be ranked number one for me because of the sheer poor drivability that you saw. Now, if this finish, this Atlanta finish, had happened, you know, several laps into a green flag run, you know, let's say we hadn't had a pit stop in the last 30 laps, you know, and the guy's tires were, were worn, you know, they can still be packed up. Like, I have no problem with them being packed up. You know, but it's not like the tires were worn. It's not like the cars were beat up. You know, it's not like, you know, but, but yes, I would say that Suarez, of all people, just like Craven, going for it because he doesn't, how often has he been in a position to win one of these things lately? Not very often. He didn't have a good season last year. He missed the playoffs. You know, how often is Suarez going to be? You know, a lot of people were talking about him being on the hot seat. And what does he do? He goes out and beats a Bush and a Blaney, just like back in 03, which is still crazy to me. I love that. I love that, that coincidence. 
is the fact that the journeyman driver who needed that big break gets it by beating a Bush and a Blaney. (laughs) Um, but you know, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough thing to say. Uh, it want my, if you want my opinion, one of the, the, the best finishes I ever saw was that time that, uh, Casey Kane beat Eric Jones by like a, a Nat's penis, like length, like it was ridiculous. I mean, he barely beat him and he, it kept his, his record in the truck series, his like, his, his average finish still at like 1.5 or something or whatever, you know, and he, he literally barely got it. Now that to me was awesome, mainly because it involved Casey Kane. Uh, I also think that Casey Kane finishing second to Matt Kenseth at Rockingham in 2004, while heartbreaking, was also thrilling. And that was the race that made me become a Casey Kane fan, for fun, if anybody was, was curious. After that race, I, I latched onto him and never let go. So it's been 20 years since that race now, and I reflect on it sometimes. Now, I, I had been reflecting on it. This isn't my therapy session, but I'm treating it like that. But my opinion, simply put, is that it is, it is to wrap things up, it's hard to, to say this. I have to go neutral. I, I know that's, that's not what everybody wants to hear. Everybody wants to hear a, a genuine thing. But it, it's, these were two completely different scenarios that both required the drivers making them to be smart, but also to be aggressive. And I think you saw the reason why Blaney and Bush and even Suarez are highly regarded as some of the top drivers in the series, even though Suarez might not be a champion. I mean, he's an Xfinity champion, but he's not a cup champion. He's now only, he only had one cup win at the, uh, up until Sunday. But I, I, I never, ever heard, not since his rookie season in the Xfinity series, have I heard people say that Suarez is a dart without feathers. Kind of, I mean, I hear worse things about his teammate Chastain than I do actually about Suarez's driving style. So I look at that and I say that's three drivers who raced each other with utmost respect, and it was it was just flat out a good old fashioned clean NASCAR finish at Atlanta, and I loved it. But I'm not going to immediately sit here and say that it was better than 2003 Atlanta, because you go watch the final five laps of 2003 Atlanta. And you go sit here and tell me that you wouldn't love to be either Kurt Busch or Ricky Craven in that situation. 2003 Darlington. You would. No, 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 no. You said 2003 Atlanta. You're talking about 2003, right, 2003 Darlington. 2003 Darlington. You're right. You're right. Don't, don't sit here and tell me. Like, if you put yourself in the shoes of Ricky Craven or Kurt Busch, don't tell me that you wouldn't have loved to have driven those cars. Those cars are slip sliding around, and you're basically driving a pig around this this track around the one of the hardest tracks if not the single hardest track in nascar your tires are degraded the track itself is a freaking cheese grater your car is beat all to hell you've been in the wall you've got so many darlington stripes the whole track could basically be orange and red at that point from driving those two cars like i could not i i would if i put myself in that situation i would be so nervous to be at Atlanta on Sunday, I would be so nervous that I don't think I'd be having as much fun as I probably would be if I was Craven or Bush. Does that make sense? Does it? Does that make sense where I'm coming from? Yes, it does. Okay. I so respect I, again, what you not, say. Not saying that one is better than the other, saying they're two completely different 
situations, both great in and of themselves, both magical, fantastic finishes, great stories, great moments that we're going to look back on. You know, Darlington 2003 happened almost 21 years ago. We're going to look back on Atlanta 2024 in 20 in 20 years probably and think, man, that was fantastic. That was classic, all-time classic. It Same thing's going to happen. And I'm I'm fine with that. All right, I talked way too much there, and I apologize to everybody. Let's try and wrap things up here. Let's do the weekend wrap-up first. We had the Bathurst 500 down in Bathurst. Uh, a lot of controversy down in the supercars because they did end their race under safety car, at least the first race under safety car. Uh, a lot of people were not particularly happy about that. People kind of seemed to want a one-lap shootout, but it appears as though supercars and other you know, people associated with the series tend to agree with me that it's not worth it to tear up cars for a one to two lap shootout. And when you're racing at a track like Bathurst, where it's very technical, but also very fast, I would just prefer to not tear up more cars. That's just my view on it. You know, let's not unnecessarily tear up cars if we don't have to. I don't mind ending the first race of the season under a safety car. It is what it is. It happens. It's happened before. It'll happen again. Huh? Happened in NASCAR. I mean, it did. It really did. I mean, it it happens. It's part of racing. We don't need... Supercars doesn't need to be doing a green-white checkered or a speedy quick cleanup so that we can get a one-lap shootout in. Just if it takes this long to clean up, it takes this long to clean up. You know? Sometimes one-lap shootouts can be fine if they literally do get the track cleaned up and they're like, oh, well, the track is clean. We can go if we want. You know, that's fine. But let's not hurry things up or let's not extend the race just for that reason. Um, so Brock Feeney won race number one of the Bathurst 500. Uh, and it was an all-Red Bull and Pole Racing uh, weekend because Will Brown won his first race uh, for Red Bull and Pole Racing and only his second start for the team. Uh, so good for him. Uh, again, no Brody Kostecki still. Still have absolutely no idea what's going on. But if you saw the uh, Bathurst livery for Erebus, it looks like it's a backmarker team and not the team that just won the championship last season. That literally is their reigning champion. Josh, while I'm going through the Atlanta stuff, I really need you to look up what Erebus's live livery was this weekend at Bathurst. It, it looks comical. You would not believe that this team is literally the reigning champion. You would think that they're like a brand new, low-budget, on-the-fringe team based on their livery alone. It is crazy what they put together. Um, <laughs> you're looking at it now. You're looking at it. It's, 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 it's wild. It looks like something someone created in a video game, in the, video, in, the, in the paint scheme editor of a video game. This reminds me of the TNT paint scheme from NASCAR Thunder 2003. For real, like it, it's so bad. Yeah, it's so bad. All right, and it talk recap in NASCAR in Atlanta. We've already kind of talked about this, but in the Truck Series, Kyle Busch won uh, because it's Kyle Busch and he raced in the Truck Series, and who didn't see that coming? Um, and in Xfinity, again, who didn't see this coming? Austin Hill winning again. I left my butt off, Josh. I could not stop. I was watching this race at work. And it's all quiet at work. All you can hear is the police scanner or whatnot. All of a sudden, I just start bust out laughing. Nobody, nobody in the entire newsroom knows what I'm laughing about. 
And I just cannot stop laughing because as soon as everybody started running out of gas on that restart, or even before then, even before then, when they were talking, everybody, the, the Fox broadcast was talking about, you know, guys being kind of uh, short on fuel. I was like, watch, everybody's going to run out, out and Austin Hill's going to win. And I was like, this was right before the last restart. I'm sitting there thinking that in my head. And then it freaking happened. I watched it unfold in front of me. And I just started losing my freaking mind. So I'm like, number one, I'm like, did I just tell the future? Did I just tell the future again? Like, why does this keep happening? Why, is, why have I watched so much racing in my life that unpredictable moments are now predictable for me? Like, why is that? Why has that happened? Why, why am I experiencing that? Where I just know the unpredictable is predictable and just get it. And so I just started laughing because it exactly happened almost to a T. Not 100%, but basically exactly how I figured it was going to play out right as they're coming to get the green. <laughs> like, everybody's going to run out. Austin Hill's going to win this and Twitter's going to have a meltdown. Boom, boom, boom. It happened. As exactly as I called it. I have no, and I don't know why everybody hates Austin Hill. I don't have a problem with him. I I don't have a problem with this dude. I think he's a nice guy. I think he's a nice person. Um, do I wish he got along better with Shelton Creed? Yes, I do. Of course I wish he got along better with Shelton Creed. Do I hate that he's praising Jesse Love all the time? Yeah, I, I don't exactly like that. But he's not a bad guy. He's not an annoying guy. If he wins, more power to him. Good for him. I hope to see him in Cup soon. And speaking of Cup, Daniel Suarez, we already talked about, he won in a, literally the, the finish of probably the decade. Um, and I say that four years into the decade. Josh, you've got a featured driver you're going to tell us all about uh, this week. So why don't I go ahead and turn the reins over to you and you can share with us your featured driver. Yeah, so I went and I pulled this one, uh, this name from the 2001 Indianapolis 500, the results. Uh, Corey Witherell. And I love how you just randomly did that. <laughs> I know that. You just randomly did that, pulled out a random name. Uh, Corey, he started 31st and finished 19th. Corey uh, Witherell. In the number nine, uh, excuse me, number 16 Radio Shack Oldsmobile, uh, where he finished 13 laps down. Um, you know, the 2001 Indy 500 was Corey's second and final. IndyCar start. He previously, uh, his first start was at Atlanta, uh, race three of 2001, and the Indy 500 was race four. Um, he started 22nd, or uh, he finished 22nd after starting 24th. Um, from 1998 to 2004, he started a total of 54 races in what is now Indy NXT. Um, he ran the full season in 99, 2001, 2002, 2003. He earned eight podiums and a single victory at Nashville Super Speedway in 2002, uh, where he finished ahead of uh, Ari Leonduck Jr., Aaron Fike, AJ Foyt the Fourth, and Ed Carpenter in that race. That was, that was the top five. I still love how that was like the first like indie Infinity Pro or whatever like field. And you look at, like, where are all these guys now? Wow, the only one who's done anything with his career is Ed Carpenter, and I wonder why. <laughs> um, Corey here, uh, he failed to qualify for one ASA race he attempted in 2004 at uh, the Milwaukee Mile. 
And then, uh, you know what? Finally, here he, in 2004, he attempted to qualify for two ARCA races and made one. He qualified 36th and finished 38th at Nashville Super Speedway. Uh, and he later attempted to qualify at Chicagoland where he failed. Rob is added here, and I did I did not know this because I didn't go to his Wikipedia page. I This is all racing reference. Uh, Corey is the only full-blooded Native American to ever race in the Indianapolis 500. So, Rob, thank you for adding that little bit there. Yeah. Uh, that's that's this week's featured driver. Again, yeah, just, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to randomly pick a series, pick a year, pick a race, pull a driver out of a hat. And that's what we're going to talk about. Maybe the first two have maybe been a little bit more calculated, I, especially the first one with Eric Almarola. But, um, yeah, just going to pull him out of a hat here. Rob, um, final word uh, uh, of the day here. Uh, should I go first or should you? You are more than welcome to go first. I will allow you to go first so that we can. Okay. You'll keep it shorter. I'll keep it as short as I can. So that's why I'm going to let you go first. All right, well, I, final word here. Buy your tickets now to Atlanta in September, folks. I mean, come on. I think the race is only going to get better. I think, um, I, again, this might be a selfish plug for the company, but it's, you're kicking off the playoffs. Um, great finish. I think the next-gen cars were great at Atlanta. I think the heat's going to add a little bit of aspect to it. Oh, and by the way, there's a possible playoff advancement on the line if you win that race. Um. I think it's only going to you know, the finishing the racing is only going to be more intense and exciting. Buy your tickets now. Don't 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 chance it. Don't chance it. Well, Josh, my final word is also going to be NASCAR related, and I'm going to say that um, I have come around since 2021, and it's time for me to put some respect on Front Row Motorsports and Michael McDowell. I've always thought Todd Gilliland was talented, but I really th- I'm really, really thrilled that he's able to finally be showing it. I mean, the fact of the matter is, I mean, and, and this, is, this is just a statistic fact. Uh, if you take out Austin Sindrick's Daytona 500 win, uh, hands down, he was the best driver in that 2022 rookie class. Hands down. Um, and he showed it to me. He showed it the last two races. His prowess that they told now, yes, FRM has a lot of speed. I get that. But man, Todd looks like a totally different driver. He looks like the Todd Gilliland that he was coming up through the ranks. And I am so thrilled for him doing as well as he is. And I am so thrilled for McDowell now. Michael McDowell has quite literally come into his own as a NASCAR driver. It took him a long time to get there. And I think a lot of people, including myself, and I, I admit that I wrote him off. I wrote this guy off several years ago and never thought about giving him a second chance. I didn't even think about giving him a second chance when he won Daytona. Now since he's won the Indy Road Course, and now since he's won uh, his first pole and uh, did so well at, at well in qualifying for Daytona, um, but has really shown speed, showed a lot of, of, of smart moves. I just, I just think this guy is... It, we're, we're, I'm finally respecting what I think I should have been doing a long time ago. You know, He's a very, very good driver. He's a fantastic driver, and he's coming into his own, and it's great to see. 
So, and also for FRM in general. Uh, I know it's been a rough start to the season for Lane Riggs, but their trucks, their truck team, is is outstanding. They should be very proud of the truck program that they've put together, especially when most truck programs are constantly losing money. They should be very, very proud of the truck program that they've put together to allow themselves to be able to hire such talents like Zane Smith and like Lane Riggs. I think that's really good for them, and it's really good to see uh, a team like FRM quite literally start from the bottom and now go to where they are now. All right, let's wrap things up with the what's in the windshield. We're going to say, hey, NASCAR is going to Las Vegas with Cups, Xfinity, and Truck Series this weekend. Another triple header. Uh, thrilled about that. There's lots of racing going on this week, and I, I'm thrilled about it because we'll have NASCAR, like we said, in Las Vegas, and then we'll have the opening seat, Formula One. And I love that because then, you know, you wake up with Formula One, and then you, you, as soon as that ends, then it's just NASCAR. You know, you just, I mean, would I like there be, to be some IndyCar? Yes, but. I got to take pick my battles, and I'm just quite happy that I have what I have this week. So we'll have uh, Bahrain uh, coming up uh, as well this weekend. And, you know, Bahrain's always a good race. I always like that track. I think that's a great racetrack out there. Um, if it wasn't in Bahrain, I think I've said it multiple times, I'd love to go see a race out there. And the same with Abu Dhabi. If we just picked up those tracks and took them to somewhere where my brother won't be executed, I'd be fine with that. Uh, let's go, uh, IndyCar is going to kick off its 2024 season on March 10th in St. Petersburg, Florida. St. Petersburg, we already talked about. Uh, again, season starts next week. We still don't know who's driving for Dale Coyne. Everybody, right now, we all need to pray, cross our fingers, whatever you need to do to make sure that Colin Brown it gets, gets one of those rides. Jack, I really Jack and Colin. I I mean I agree. I agree. But Colin Brown was pretty quick. Look at his practice. Look at he his was. times at Sebring. He was. He was up to speed quite quickly. So, look, it, they gave Tom Blomquist a ride for MSR for the exact basically doing the same thing that Colin's doing. I mean, come on, come on, get 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 my boy in in an Indy car. I'm waiting for it. Uh, all right, 12 hours of Sebring coming up here also in a couple of weeks on March 16th. Looking forward to that. Sebring's always fun. And then the uh, next Formula E race is uh, March 16th in Sao Paulo. That'll be a fun one as well because uh, also, you know, I think they run, they, they, they do run like a very small portion of the old IndyCar circuit, I believe, if that's correct. And uh, always like that. Kind of brings back some fond memories of that old Sao Paulo circuit and where I was, I remember watching that epic finish back in 2013 between Hinch, Sato, and um, I can't remember who else was in it, but uh, yeah, great, great fun. Um, and then uh, the next Supercars race is also, is March 21st to 24th at Albert Park. Hopefully the race goes better than last year. And remember, you can't watch that race if you're shelling out for Superview, so get ready to... Sail the seven seas of piracy because that's basically the only way you're going to be able to watch it if you don't live in Australia. I don't even think people in New Zealand can watch it. I think it's crazy. Like, you have to be in mainland Australia, I think, to be able to watch it. Someone might correct me on that, but still. Anywho, that's just be ready. Next time you want to watch a supercars race, you're going you're gonna to have to really find it. You're going to have to search one out. Maybe, maybe 
post on Twitter looking for thread. We're looking for stream. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. We really appreciate uh, everybody's uh, support for the show. We really appreciate everybody tuning in every week. Um, this has been uh, a great, another great episode. We're going to keep this under two hours again. Uh, so I'm going to wrap things up. Thank you guys again for listening. Please let us know what you think. Please don't forget to like, follow, subscribe, all that stuff. Um, play along in the Spotify question of the week. If you're a Spotify listener and just, or just leave us a nice little review on Apple podcasts or however you get us. So thank you again so much for listening for Josh Roller. My name is Rob Peters, and this has been the racing with Robin Roller podcast. Have a great Las Vegas week. Have a great Bahrain Grand Prix week. And have a great week in general, everybody.